All right, good morning to everyone who's here today. And I want to welcome you to this gathering in the name of Jesus. And so, brothers and sisters, welcome this morning. I want to remind every one of us as we begin our worship of Christ today of the most central reality in anybody's life this morning, the most central reality to this local church, to this specific gathering, is that we are here for Christ. We are here for Jesus. And all the other reasons why, they, they pale in comparison to this central, supreme reality that we gather for Christ. And we just sang that to the Lord. We said, oh, the wonderful cross this morning. And so we gather for the one who died for our sins today. There was no other who died for our sins except Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. We gathered the, to worship the one who was raised from the dead this morning. The only one who emptied the tomb as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so I hope that's why you find yourself in this place today is more than anything else to worship Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 3 tells us that Jesus is all to us. That Christ Jesus is everything to us. In other words, as good as this church is, if you take Jesus out of this gathering, we have nothing because Christ is everything to us. He's wonderful. His cross is wonderful. His grace is glorious. And we are here this morning to worship Him. We're here to bring honor to Christ this morning and corporate praise as we stand together and sing to our King. We're gathered together this morning to pray in His name, to come to the Father in the name of Jesus, to draw very near to the throne of grace, to find grace for help in time of need. We're here today to sit under the preaching of Jesus' word as his disciples this morning to be instructed by his word. Not just an encouraging message for life, but, but a message of the word of Christ to submit ourselves to our king, to learn what he requires, to, remind, to be reminded of what he's done. We're here because of Jesus. We're here because of Christ. And even these relationships that God has given us all across this room where our souls love our brothers and sisters. And we find ourselves this morning thankful for face-to-face -face Christian fellowship. Face-to-face -face Christian fellowship. No more live streams. No more virtual fellowship, Lord willing. But real face-to-face -face Christian fellowship. And the reason that we ought to love that is because of Jesus. Because we love Jesus, we love his people. We love the people that belong to Jesus Christ, the church of Jesus. And the New Testament that always holds these two realities together. That those who love Jesus love the people that belong to Jesus. Those who love Christ and honor him as Lord and worship him as Lord of all. They love his people. They love their brethren. They love the church of Jesus Christ. Those two things always go together. Devotion to Christ 
and devotion to his church. And so I want to encourage us with just a uh, quick word from Acts chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn there this morning. And I want to remind us all of how closely these things are married together in Scripture. Of love of Christ and love of the brethren. Acts chapter 2, I'm going to read one verse to get us started. Verse 41. This is a commentary that follows the day of Pentecost when the Spirit was poured out on the church of Jesus. Acts 2.41 says this, And those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. There were added that day about 3,000 souls. Jump down to verse 47. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. All right, so as we see, church growth in the book of Acts is a lot different than the church growth that we're used to in America. When we read about church growth in the book of Acts, the Lord is adding to their number. It's not just this external, we had 100 coming last week, now we have 200. These are souls that the Lord has convicted of sin, that the Lord has opened their eyes to the beauty and the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They've literally been given a new heart, heart circumcision, heart transplant, and the Spirit of God has been poured out on these souls. The Lord has added them to the church. They're saved. They're new creations in Jesus Christ. And then Acts chapter 2 gives us this, this glorious picture about what next. W what follows this real spiritual, genuine conversion. And the book of Acts gives us this picture of the togetherness of the body of Christ. The togetherness of the church of Jesus. That that love for Jesus, that faith in Jesus, it manifests itself in love for the people of God. Verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, to any who had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. And so the very first pivot we see in the book of Acts to these converted disciples of Jesus is their lives are now wedded to one another. And that's how important the church is in the Christian life, that obedience to Jesus and love for Jesus is always seen and love for his people. These two things always go together in scripture. And so as I look around this morning and I see many of my brothers and sisters and several uh, new faces this morning, I want to say this, off of this reality of love of Christ, love for the church, I hope you find yourself glad to be here this morning. 
in face-to-face fellowship with the people that belong to Jesus Christ, your brethren, your brothers and sisters, the ones whom your soul loves, that their joys are your joys, their sorrows are your sorrows. I hope that you have a tremendous desire this morning to be encouraged in the Lord, right? That we're not just here just because we're supposed to be here. We're here to be strengthened in our pursuit of Jesus Christ. But I hope you have more than that. I hope you also have a desire to see your brothers and sisters this morning strengthened in the grace of God, strengthened in their love for Jesus Christ. And so I hope you're glad to be here this morning and not just sentimentalism of I'm glad to see people. I've been locked up. I'm ready to see people. I hope it's real spiritual love for the brethren that you want to see your brothers and sisters strengthened in the gospel. Now, one of the things that we're very careful to do at Grace Community Church um, is we're not a big fan of announcements in the context of corporate worship. We intentionally don't do that. We save that stuff for emails or members' meetings that we intentionally try to remove that out of the context of corporate worship. But I have a couple of things that I want to remind us of and encourage us with as we're here together. We don't have a lot of opportunities to do what we're doing right now. And so we're still coming out of this unnatural season as followers of Jesus. Unnatural in the sense that we haven't been able to gather together in face-to-face Christian fellowship. It was a disconnected season for almost all of us, and we're still not back to the normal rhythms of our local church. And, and one of the ways that we want to encourage you as your pastors in this local church is that as these restrictions are being lifted more and more, We want to encourage you to be very intentional about getting some some of these smaller gatherings for face-to-face Christian fellowship. Think smaller gatherings. Think hospitality. Intentionally gathering together with the saints with the purpose of strengthening the souls of the disciples, loving the body of Christ. And so this is a season where we need to be going after these things all the more as disciples of Jesus, and with the intent of of truly caring for souls. But we got to be smart about this stuff, okay? And and this is one of the, the things that we highlighted in the email that we sent out to the church where we laid out some guidelines, uh, even for this gathering on Sunday mornings, um, Some criteria to come. And I want to take just a moment and highlight some of that so that you can kind of hear some of the the tone and the reasons why this is really important for us to think through not only loving and gathering and being intentional, but also being prudent. And so I want to highlight this, that one of the things that we asked in that email is that if you're experiencing symptoms in any way, in any way, not just, oh, I think I have COVID-19, but symptoms in any way, fever, uh, a cough, body aches, symptoms, okay? Not just on Saturday, but the week before this gathering, we have asked you not to come, okay? 
And the reason why is not because we don't want to see you. That is not the reason why we ask you not to come. And so I want you to think through this privilege and this gift that the Lord has given. We're able to meet again under some guidelines. But it takes one person, okay, walking in uh, with a fever and they find out two days later they have COVID-19. And all of a sudden the other 80 people or 100 people in the room were in quarantine for 10 to 14 days, you know, even if nobody gets sick. And so we got to be really prudent in the way that we steward um, this privilege of meeting together. And the same thing goes for your personal, uh, intentional time that you spend with other members in the church. Please love the body of Christ. Please be intentional. But we do want to encourage you to be smart in the way that you spend your time with the body of Christ. And so in this, in this next several weeks, and we don't know how long this particular season is going to last, be intentional and cry out to God that God would be pleased to use your conversations, your care, your love for the members in this church. Pray over the time, over the care that you spend with other members. Lord, use it. God, use this time with my brothers and sisters. Use it to strengthen them. And that's the same thing that we're going to do this morning. We're going to call on the Lord, and we're going to ask that God would be pleased to meet us here this morning and powerfully work among us and strengthen our souls in the gospel. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord Jesus, this is the day that we remember that you overwhelmed death that you emptied the tomb, that you overpowered death as the firstborn of the resurrection. And we gather today and we worship you as Lord of all, Lord of every tongue, the one whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are King, you are Lord of all in heaven and on earth. Lord, we gather today to bring you worship. And we thank you for this gathering, this means of grace. Lord, we ask that it would be just that today. That you would be pleased to pour out grace upon this meeting today. That you would not allow us to gather together in vain. Lord, we ask that our souls would be strengthened to follow you today. Lord, we need to be convicted of our sins. We need to be reminded of the gospel. We long today to worship you. But unless you build the house, Lord, those who build it labor in vain. God, please don't allow this meeting to fall to the ground. We ask that your, your saints would be strengthened today, Lord Jesus. Lord, we pray for this church, Grace Community Church. And we ask, God, that you would sanctify us, that you would increase us with the knowledge of your word, that we would be always abounding in the knowledge of Jesus. Lord, we ask that we might not be a stagnant people, lukewarm, content not to move forward in the Christian life. Lord, give us a glimpse today of the glory of Christ. That we must press on to pursue you, Lord. We have not arrived. 
Lord, thank you that there's more than enough glory in you to sustain us throughout all of eternity. And we ask for a glimpse of your glory this morning. Lord, we ask that you would bless the preaching of your word today. That you would not only make known your will from your word, but that you would cause us to love what you say, to hate what you hate, and to submit to your word as your disciples, Lord Jesus. You are king, and we are your servants. In Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen. Let's stand together and worship the Lord. Oh, to see my name. Oh, to see my name. 
God for his faithfulness. Great is thy
So when we were when we were singing, I had a revelation I never had before. And this is where it's good that you have plurality of elders because they're on their toes right now, ready to charge the pulpit. A better word would probably be insight, a new insight. You know, when you think about in the scriptures when it mentions um, there will be no more sickness, there will be no more persecution. I typically have thought of that, of I've praised God for that personally, that I will be sick no more or I will be um, persecuted no more. But just singing just now, I'm thinking, man, you think about all over the world how persecution has broken up bodies of believers and they long to get together and worship King Jesus or how this sickness has caused a separation of the body of Christ and unable to come together and in heaven no more. In heaven we'll worship Christ. So I praise God that there's no sickness and no persecution with Christ in heaven uh, in a new way because we will always be able to worship him together. I want to talk to you about Psalm 119. So you can go ahead and turn in your Bible to Psalm 119. Let's pray, and we're going to dig into this psalm together. Father, thank you so much that we can sing praises to you. We can worship and sing praises to you. What a worthy God you are. What a worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb. Lord, as we pause now and we lean in together to this psalm and this truth in your word, God, please give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, conform us to the image of Christ. Holy Spirit, please do your work through your word in our hearts. We need you, Lord. This reading of your scripture and And this time together is in vain, God, unless you move. Please, God, move in power. God, bring conviction of sin where it's needed. Bring comfort where it's needed. Please help us, Lord, in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I just want to remind you of this, that the book of Psalms as a whole is this uh, sort of a beautiful collision of how we ought to think and how we ought to feel. Now, we, we talked about this several years ago when we started going through the book of Psalms together, that, that what you get from the book of Psalms is, is the sound doctrine of who God is, what he's like. You get sound doctrine, but you also get the proper affections that ought to come out of our hearts as we think of that sound doctrine, as we know this God. So you get in the book of Psalms how we ought to think and how we ought to feel. And so when we come to Psalm 119, this is how we ought to think about God's word and how we ought to feel about God's word, how we understand what God's word is and how our affections and our heart ought to be toward God's word. 
I want to start with this quote from Matthew Henry. So it's a Puritan from the 1600s. And in this quote from Matthew Henry, he's speaking about his dad, Philip Henry. He was raised in a godly home. And he says this about his dad, Philip Henry. Once, pressing the study of the scriptures, he advised us, his, talking about his children. He, this is Philip Henry advising his children. He advised us to take a verse of this psalm, Psalm 119, to take a verse of this psalm every morning to meditate upon. And so go over the psalm twice in the year, and that, saith he, will bring you to be in love with all the rest of Scripture. To be in love with all the rest of Scripture. He often said, so imagine Matthew Henry remembers his dad often saying, All grace grows as love to the Word of God grows. All grace grows as love to the Word of God grows. And so he's trying to produce love for the Word of God in his children's hearts. So he says, look, I want you all to take one verse from this psalm, Psalm 119, and I want you to meditate on it every morning. And you'll come through Psalm 119 twice in a year, and it's going to produce in you a love for God's Word. And that's important because all grace grows as love for God's Word grows. We see in this psalm, as we're going to see, uh, the great importance of loving the Word of God. That is the focus. If you've ever read it before, that's the focus of Psalm 119. The love for the Scripture. Love for God's Word. Now, God's Word, the written Word of God, is called many different things in this psalm. Let me give you some examples. Statutes. So when you read statutes coming through there. Precepts. Law. Judgments, the word, his ways, his commandments, his rules, his testimonies. These are all words that are used to describe the written word of God. So as you read through Psalm 119, you see those different words. No, we're talking about the scripture. We're talking about God's word. As you read that in Psalm 119. And what you find in this psalm are... Um, Descriptions of the characteristics of God's Word. You see a lot of different descriptions of the characteristics of God's Word. I'll just give you one example of that in uh, verse 160. It's a long psalm, if you didn't already know that. Verse 160, it says, The sum of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. So what we have here are characteristics of God's word. What is God's word? What is the written word of God? It's truth. It's God's standard of truth. You want truth? Run to the written word of God. It says here, it's righteous. It's his righteous rules. It says here, it endures forever. It's eternal. It's the eternal word of God that is righteous and it is true. And I love how in this verse it says, the sum of your word is truth. That means the entirety of your word. Take it all together in, in one big story. And what is it? It's truth. But not only the sum of it is truth. It says, 
And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. So, so the entirety of the word of God and every little part of the word of God is truth. It's righteous and it endures forever. And this is what we see all through this psalm is descriptions of, guys, church, look at how beautiful and glorious and important the scriptures are. And the scriptures ought to be to his people. Now, the structure of Psalm 119, it's interesting, every, every about eight verses, or every eight verses, every eight lines, you see a little word at the top, you know, at the very beginning it says, Aleph, and then you go to the next one, it says, down in verse, beginning of verse 9, it says, Beth. So, so what's happening here is this psalm is an alphabetical acrostic, okay? So each one of those, those names you see at the beginning, those are are uh, uh, of the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So we've got all 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet represented here. And under each letter is eight lines. And the next letter, eight lines. And the next letter, eight lines. And all of those eight lines begin with the letter in that that's, that's at the top there. It begins with that specific letter in the Hebrew alphabet. So it's laid out for us in this alphabetic acrostic now as you read through it you'll notice a lot of repetition so you you know you if you're trying to find repetition you might find you might gather up into one place these different categories like here's all the places in psalm 119 where it says the word of god's truth and here's all the places in psalm 119 where it says um that the word of god is to be delighted in or here's all the places in psalm 119 where it mentions afflictions and persecutions and you can gather up uh, throughout Psalm 119, you can gather up into all these different sort of categories. And so what I want to do is I want to talk to you about the largest category, okay? So if you break up Psalm 119 into these categories, there's one category that stands out above all the rest. There's one category that just, it's just there again and again and again. Just a ton of repetition in this specific category in Psalm 119. And I'll give you the category from the front end, and then we'll read some of these verses. This is the category. It's delighting in God's word. Or you can say it like this, enjoying God's word. Or you can say it like this, loving the scriptures. Or you can say, desiring and, and longing for God's word. So as you categorize Psalm 119, desiring, longing for, enjoying, rejoicing in, loving the scriptures, delighting in the word of God, this is going to be your largest category. And that's what I want to, I want to lay out this repetition before you. Now, when we read this in Psalm 119, this is an example for us. We read what the psalmist says about the scriptures, and we need to walk away and say, man, I want my heart to be in that exact same place. I want the Psalm 119 heart for God's word. So it stands as an example for us. So I'm just going to hit you now with a smattering of verses, okay? Now, if you want to try to follow, you can, or you can just sit back and, and, and listen and, and, and hear these specific phrases scattered throughout Psalm 119. This will not be new information for most of you, but I want you to let these phrases and the repetition of these phrases, just as I read it to you, just let them wash over you. Let, let, let these, uh, these phrases in Psalm 119, just let them, let them uh, conform your mind. 
And maybe they might, they might even call you back to something really foundational in your walk with God that you would love the scriptures. Okay? So let me read these scriptures to you. Verse 14. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Delighting in the word of God. Verse 16. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Verse 20. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Delighting in the word of God. Consumed with longing for the word of God. Verse 24. Your testimonies are my delight. They're my delight. Verse 35. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. I delight in your commandments. Verse 40. Behold, I long for your precepts. I long for your precepts. I long for your word. Verse 47, I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. Oh, I love them. I love the commandments of God. I will lift up my hands towards your commandments, which I love. I will meditate on your statutes. Verse 70, let these words wash over you. Listen, their heart is unfeeling like fat. But I delight in your law. They don't feel a thing. The world is unfeeling. They don't feel anything. But I feel something towards God's word. God's word is my delight. I love it. I'm not unfeeling toward the word, toward the word of God as, as the world is. Verse 72. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Verse 77, let your mercy come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. Verse 92, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Verse 97, oh, how I love your law. I love it. It's my meditation all the day. In other words, I can't stop thinking about it. I love the word of God. 103. How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. 111. Your testimonies are my heritage forever. For they are the joy of my heart. Your words, your scriptures, the joy of my heart. 119, therefore I love your testimonies. 129, your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore my soul keeps them. I love that. They're just wonderful. They're just wonderful. Your your word's wonderful, so I keep it. 131, 
I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. The psalmist is not ashamed to use a picture of an animal panting and panting. I open my mouth and I'm just panting for the word of God. I long for these truths. 143. Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. <laughs> Trouble and anguish all around me, but when I get my eyes on your word, delight, delight. 159. Consider how I love your precepts. 162. I rejoice at your word. I rejoice at your word. 163. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. I love your law. 165. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. 167. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. I love them exceedingly. I, lo I don't just love them. I love them a lot. Like we say in my house, I love them to the moon and back. I love them exceedingly. 174. I long for your salvation, O Lord, for your law is my delight. Your law is my delight. Brothers and sisters, I hope you see the repetition there. And let me ask you, what is your experience with this book? Is this your experience with this book? What's your relationship with the scriptures? Do you love the Bible? Do you delight in the Bible? Does it bring you joy to think about slipping off to a quiet place by yourself somewhere and reading the scriptures? Do you delight in God's word? What makes you happy? What brings you joy and rejoicing? Is it the scriptures? Is it the word of God? What's your relationship with this book? What's your relationship with this book? Now, I want to encourage you, please, uh, when we read those verses and you have that example put in front of you, please do not think of this as sort of the cherry on top. Like some people got the cherry on top, some people don't. You know, take it or leave it. Like uh, some people really enjoy God's word and reading and some people don't. Don't take it that way. Don't take it that way, because listen, this idea of loving the law of God, enjoying the scriptures, is for every believer. It's foundational for your walk with God. It's necessary for your walk with Christ that you love, that you love, delight in God's word. Now, here's why I say that. Here's why I say that. This relationship with scripture, this Psalm 119 heart towards the word of God, delighting in the word of God, that was purchased for you by the blood of Jesus Christ when he died for sinners. This is not something that's just for the superstar Christians. The superstar Christians love the word of God. No, no, this is for everyone in Christ Jesus. Listen to how Ezekiel talks about conversion. He says this. 
I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Did you hear that? A new heart that wants to walk in the ways of God, that wants his statutes, a new heart his people are given. So without Christ, we've got this old stony heart that's full of sin, this rebelling against the word of God and bored with the word of God. But Christ Jesus came. Christ Jesus died for sinners, laid down his life. And all those who are his people, whose sins have been forgiven because they were cast upon the son of God when he was crucified. All those who are his people are given a new heart that love the word of God. Now, surely you know this is something that we grow in. It's not something we're perfect at at every moment. But look, this is not something for super Christians. This is this, what we just read. This Psalm 119 heart, delighting in the scriptures, is for everyone in Christ because Christ purchased for you a new heart to enjoy his statutes and to love, to love his rules. So what I want us to do is I want to sharpen the focus here, okay? So we're talking about this Psalm 119 heart toward the Scriptures. Love for the Word. Delight in God's Word. I want us to sharpen the focus into what does this actually look like? What does it look like to have a love for God's Word? And I I want us to do that by zoning in a little closer to some of these scriptures in Psalm 119, okay? So what we're doing is, is as you read through Psalm 119, what is God calling you into? What is God calling us into, okay? What kind of love? And that's what I want us to do. I've got about, I don't know if we'll make it through all these, but I've got about 12 um, distinctions or descriptions to, to clarify what this love for God's word looks like. We might not make it through them all. We'll see how far we can make it, okay? So number one, God is calling us into a love for God's word that, number one, that surpasses the love of money. He's calling us into a love for God's word that surpasses the love of money. Let's zone in a little closer to verse 72. Verse 72. The law... Of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Brothers and sisters, can you say that from your heart? That God's word is better to me than money. I'd rather have it than thousands of gold and silver pieces. What do your pursuits reveal about you? What do you pursue harder? Riches and money, the things of this life? Or do you pursue God's word? Does it reveal a love for God's word that surpasses the love of money? We saw the same thing. This is a a pattern. Verse 14. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I delight in your testimony, testimonies, as much as in all riches. Brothers and sisters, where do you find the most comfort and delight? In a full bank account 
or having a heart full of the Word of God? Where do you find the most comfort? Where do you find the most delight? What makes you happier? Payday? A second Friday of the month? Payday? Or, or, or is it time alone, seeing something, getting some sort of nugget, beautiful truth from God's Word that does something to your heart? What makes you happy? What brings you delight? Verse 127. Therefore I love your commandments above gold. Above fine gold. The world loves money. The world loves money deeply. May we be those who don't love money, but love God's word. And that it eclipses and surpasses the love of money. One more verse on that topic, 162. 162 says, I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. Now consider the rejoicing that's associated with finding great spoil. You're fighting a war. It's intense battle in this war. You're, you're battling it out. And all of a sudden your side begins to gain the victory. You win. You have victory. And you have all the spoils of war. Rejoicing. Rejoicing. But you know what? You know what's even better than that? According to this verse, slipping away to a solitary place, getting alone with God and His Word in an open Bible, and, and carrying away some spoil of truth from God's Word. It's better than that. It's better than that. Number two. We're being called to a love for God's Word that, number two, that surpasses temporal delights. That surpasses temporal delights. Example, the delight of eating something sweet. Anybody like to eat something sweet? Psalm 119 verse 103 says, How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. Have, is, is the word of God something you taste? And what, and what does it taste like to you? Does it taste sweet? Does it taste sweeter than all the temporal delights of this world? Does God's word taste sweet like honey to you? That's what this psalm is calling us into. Now, Charles Spurgeon uh, commenting on this verse, I love this quote. He says, The sweetness of all temporal things falls short of the infinite deliciousness of the eternal word. And I just was impressed that he said infinite deliciousness of God's word. You think of God's word that, that, that way, it's infinitely delicious. I love to taste it. It's sweet to me. And that's what we're being called into from Psalm 119. Number three, we're being called into a love for God's word that, number three, that weeps when it's disregarded. That weeps 
when his word is disregarded. Verse 136. <clears throat> My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. My eyes shed streams of tears because your law is not held up. The word of God is being disregarded, so I weep, he says here. Brothers and sisters, don't be cold-hearted and dry-eyed saints. We're commanded, there's a New Testament command in James 4, 9, to, to mourn and to weep over sin. Don't be dried saints. James 4, 9 is a call to love God and to love His Word in such a way that we're broken. We're broken. When God's people reject and turn away from His Word, it breaks our hearts. It's a love for God's Word. Number four, we're being called to a love for God's Word that, number four, that burns with holy anger when His Word is spurned. That burns with holy anger when His Word is spurned. Verse 53 says this. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Now, in your Christian life, do you have a place for this? Do you have a place in your Christian life for hot indignation, for, for a holy anger to come flowing out of you? Do you have a place for that? Do you see that as a part of the Christian life? The truth is, is that where there is a holy love, there will also be a holy anger. Where there's a holy love, there will also be a holy anger. Think about it. If a father loves his daughter... If a father just loves his daughter, what would you expect his response to be to the man that wants to harm her? Nothing less than hot indignation. Nothing less than holy anger. Do you love God's word? And if you love God's word, when God's word is spurned through many different ways, God's name being slandered, it brings hot indignation. Injustice in the land of abortion or whatever, the, the, the murder of the innocent. These things with anger you, God's word is being spurned. And because you love God and you love his word, you're filled with hot indignation. Number five, we're being called to a love for God's word that, number five, that saturates the mind. It saturates the mind. Now, if you read through Psalm 119, the word meditate or meditation is used seven different times in connection with loving God's word. So those who love God's word, meditating on God's word. Those who delight in God's word, meditating on God's word. It's there over and over and over again because here's the reality. Those things which you love tend to consume your mind. Verse 97, oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day long. I can't stop thinking about it. God's word is consuming my mind. Now, meditation on scripture 
thinking, because a mind consumed with Scripture is a fruit or a product of loving the Scriptures. But it's also a trigger to love the Scriptures more. This, so, so, brothers and sisters, I encourage you to set aside time every day to meditate on the Word of God. And the more you do that intentionally in your life, you will love God's Word more. Because you've been given that new heart in Christ. So set aside time every day to meditate. Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation to meditate on God's Word and strive to meditate and consume your mind with the Word of God constantly. It's promises, it's commands, it's truth, it's knowledge. Consume your mind with it. Number six, we're being called to a love for God's Word that, number six, leads to obedience. Leads to obedience. Verse two. Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with their whole heart. Keep His testimonies. That's submission language. That's obedience language. Verse four. You have commanded your precepts be kept diligently. Not just kept, but brothers and sisters, diligently obey God's word. Diligently keep your life in line with the precepts of God's word. Diligent obedience. One victory of Satan in our day, I believe, has been to steal from the church this language of submission to God. In obedience to God. As if when somebody speaks about being obedient to God, they're being a Pharisee. Or especially being diligently obedient. As if that's always being a Pharisee. No, that's an expression of love to God. Didn't Jesus say that? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. James 1.22, be doers of the word, not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. Do the word, obey the word. That's what that scripture says. But that scripture says, so may we be a church that loves God's word in such a way that it causes us to long for obedience, even quick obedience, submissive, diligent obedience to what it says. Let me give you a sweet verse on that. Verse 59 and 60. When I think on my ways... I turn my feet to your statutes. So I'm thinking about my ways and I'm turning my attention. I'm applying the word of God to my ways. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. Oh, may that be our heart. That we would be those that look to the word of God in all of life and and make haste. Hasten and not delay. We have a saying in our house, slow obedience is no obedience. Slow obedience is no obedience. Not slow, hesitant obedience to God, but but hasten and not delay to keep the commands of our Lord. A love for God's word that causes our hearts to obey. Number seven, we're being called into a love for God's word in Psalm 119. The kind of love that kills sin. Number seven, that kills sin. Sin. Verse 9 through 11. 
How can a young man keep his way pure? It's a good question. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The kind of love for God's word that kills sin. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Do you love God's word? Well, then take it up as the sword of the spirit and make war on your sin. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Number eight, we're being called to a love for God's word that, number eight, that turns our hearts away from selfishness and worthlessness. That turns our hearts away from selfishness and worthlessness. Verse 36 and 37, listen. It's a prayer to God. Listen to the prayer. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. So you see there, this is a prayer. These two verses, it's, it's, a, it's a prayer. The psalmist is asking God to turn him away from selfishness, self-centeredness. Turn me away from that. And he's asking God, God, turn me away from looking at worthless things. Not even just sinful things, but just things that have no worth, things that have no value, worthless things. Turn my eyes away from them, God. Have you ever prayed something like that? God, turn me away from my own selfishness. God, turn me away from my eyes looking at worthless things. Have you ever prayed that? Now notice, he doesn't just say turn me away from these things, but he prays, God, turn me towards something else. Towards what? Towards the word of God. Look at it again. Verse 36. Incline my heart to your testimonies. Away from selfishness, away from worthlessness, and to your testimonies. Let my eyes land on your testimonies, O God, on your word. Love for the word of God. Love for the word of God kills these sinful impulses of selfishness and worthlessness. Number nine. This psalm's calling us into a love for God's word that makes you wise. Number nine, that makes you wise. Verse 98. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. Notice that. Not not your intellect, not your contemplation, but the commandments of God, it says. The commandments of God makes me wiser. Verse 99. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. Why is he wiser than those that are more educated than him? Why? Because he meditates on the testimonies of God. 100. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. Do you want wisdom and understanding, brothers and sisters? Okay, then love God's word. Do you want wisdom? Love God's word. Verse 99 tells us that that wisdom 
is, is not found, it's not connected to superior education. There's some highly educated fools. And there's some uneducated sages. It has to do with what do they do with the word of God. Verse, verse 100 tells us that, that your wisdom, your understanding is not connected merely to how old you are. They're young fools and old fools. It's what do you do with God's word? Do you meditate on the word of God? Do you obey the word of God? There is found your wisdom. There is found your understanding. Brothers and sisters, be faithful to love God's word, to, to unfold God's word often, and therefore gain wisdom. I love this verse 130. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Boy, do we need that. Understanding to the simple. How? The unfolding of your words. So love for the word of God. Number 10, we're being called into a love for God's word that, number 10, that gives you unshakable peace. That gives you unshakable peace. Verse 165 says, Great peace have those who love your law. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. They stand in unshakable peace because they love the word of God. If your feet are planted firmly in your news feed, you'll be shaken and peace will be lost. But if your feet are firmly planted in God's word, you will be immovable, you'll be filled with peace, and you'll be able to speak into, with truth, into the news feed. Stand firm on God's word and therefore have peace. Number 11. We're being called into a love for God's word that sustains you under heavy affliction. Sustains you under heavy affliction. And this psalm, Psalm 119, it speaks a lot about affliction. I mean a lot. Afflictions of persecutions. Uh, afflictions of people deriding you. Uh, afflictions of circumstances, hard situations. It speaks a lot about afflictions in this psalm. And this psalm invites us in affliction to run to the steady word of God. When you've been in afflictions, if you've been in affliction, and, and when you have been in affliction, where did you run? Where did your mind go? Where did your heart go? Did you run to God's unshakable word? Because that's the invitation of Psalm 100 and 119. Just to give you a few of those verses. Verse 50. This is my comfort in my affliction. That your promise gives me life. In my affliction, what's my comfort? Your promise. The unshakable word, the truth. <clears throat> Verse 51. The insolent utterly deride me. But I do not turn away from your law. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. People are deriding me, but what does he do? When I think about your rules, when I think about your word, I have comfort, O Lord. 
We're being, invi- we're being invited here to love God's word in such a way that it sustains you under heavy affliction. Number 12, we did make it. We're being called to a love for God's word that, number 12, leads you to worship God. It leads you to worship God. Look at this in verse 7. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. You see, learning should always lead to worship. Learning should always lead to praise. Look at it. I praise you when? When I learn your righteous rules. See, there's always this connection. If you're you're learning God's word rightly, it's leading you to praise God, to worship God. Why? Because the word is all about who God is, who Christ is, what he's done, his attributes. And as you see that, he's worthy of praise and worship. So your learning leads to worshiping God. What a reason to love God's word. Look at the end of the psalm, verse 171. I love this. My lips will pour forth praise for you teach me your statutes. See that connection? I'm being taught statutes of God, and therefore my mouth's just pouring forth praise and worship to this God that I'm seeing in His Word. What a reason. You exist to worship. You exist to glorify Him. What a reason to dive into and love God's Word because it leads you to that place to do what you exist to do, to worship God. Verse 172, My tongue will sing of your Word, for all your commandments are right. The word of God leads you to worship because its main objective is to show you Christ. In this word, the Bible, its main message to you is the gospel. And the gospel means good news. And when you hear good news, you worship and you rejoice. Christ Jesus has died. Jesus said, these are they which testify of me. They tell you about Christ Paul said, I didn't say anything except which was in Moses and the prophets and God's word, that the Christ would suffer and die and the Christ would rise again from the dead. It's the main message of this book that Jesus has died for sinners, that he's alive and that he's king. And that if we trust in him, we're his people and we have eternal life. What a reason. What a reason to love this book. To love God's word. And I believe that's what Psalm 119 says. It's calling us into. Now let me, let me close with this uh, application, exhortation. I want to take us back to that quote that, that Matthew Henry remembered his dad saying again and again and again. Remember that? Philip Henry said this over and over again. All grace grows as love to the word of God grows. And that's true. And here's what, I, here's what I think he means. All grace grows as love to the word of God grows. Here's what I believe he means. That, that, you know, you need the grace of God for everything. Remember Jesus said, apart from me, you can do how much? Nothing. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Therefore, to, be, uh, uh, to honor him in singing, you need grace from God to be a good singer to God. 
To, to have a, a steady prayer life, you need grace from God to have a good prayer life, to be, to be a good husband, to be a good wife, to be a faithful parent. Everything in life, to be faithful in your singleness, to be faithful as a church member, a faithful missionary, a faithful pastor. In all these things, you need grace from God. Apart from Him, you can do nothing. You need His grace. Brothers and sisters, a means of grace, a means through which God pours out this grace is the Word of God. All grace grows as love to His Word grows. So my encouragement to you is this, in closing, that no matter what situation you're in, no matter what season of life, a husband, wife, parent, missionary, doesn't matter anything. Listen to me. There is no secret sauce for you to be faithful in those areas. You know what you need? You need grace from God. You know how you call it down? Through love to the Word of God. The Word of God is a means for you. In every area of life, you need to love God's Word. And God will work through that to make you faithful. Let's pray for a love for God's word. Lord, thank you so much that you purchased for us this heart. This new heart and this new spirit that desires to walk in your statutes. And God, we, we know that we see ebb and flow in our own lives of this, Lord, of delighting in your word and, and yet walking in the sin of being bored with it in some way. And God, I pray that you would continually grant us conviction and repentance to turn away from this lack of love, Lord, and that you would fill us with delight in your word. Fill us with longing. Let our minds be consumed with the word of God. Please, God, do that for us. And I pray, Lord, that we would grow as your people. Thank you, Lord, for your help. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and as we leave, we'll sing the doxology together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Congregate, but let's congregate outside so we can clean for the next service. Thank you.